Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for being here tonight. Um, I'm Lindsay, compulsive to anorexic bulimic. And, um, so formal. It's so serious. So right off the bat, um, I'm just going to say that I am a new person. My life has completely and totally changed, and it's because of this program and all you guys. And no matter what I say, um, it probably won't be perfect, just so you know, but it's going to be my story, and it's going to be true. And... It's important to show up and to speak here because there's a lot of people that come from where I come from that don't get better, and so I think it's really important to like show that the program does work for both sides of the disease. So I'll just take a moment to qualify. Again, I'm anorexic bulimic. Um, I have gained 25 or more pounds. I don't really weigh myself. Um, I do look at it with a doctor because it's a health problem, obviously, just as if you keep going up. There's situations, same thing. But you know what? Like, Gaining weight to me has nothing to do with the life that I lead. And I can remember the smallest I've ever been was also the most miserable I've ever been. And as a sponsor dealing with compulsive overeaters, I feel like that's such a gift because as they talk about their weight, I have the ability to say it has nothing to do with weight. You know, the, again, the sicker that we are is not showing up necessarily on people's bodies. However, with me, that was my tool to kind of tell everyone, I'm not okay. You know, like, look, look, I'm not okay, which I'm grateful for. You know, and I'm also grateful that it was an eating disorder and not alcohol or drugs where I was, you know, ruining other people's lives, and I just took it all on myself. So to go back to it, it started about 12 or 13, and I had um, a big group of girls that turned and said I was too perfect. And so I got this really crazy message that it was bad to be good, but when I was good, I got, you know, again, positive reinforcement. So it kind of, like, brewed this confusion and this feeling of there's something wrong with me. So at that age when the most important thing in my life is what everyone thinks of me, um, I, got th- I got just this idea that there was something wrong. And I can remember specifically my cure to that situation was a Nutrigrain bar. And every single day I would bring the exact same Nutrigrain bar, eat it in the exact same way, one corner at a time, then the top in three different, you know, pieces, and then I would take the, ha- the bottom half, fold it in half, and eat that in two different pieces. And it was crazy because that's how I felt safe. That was the only way that my day would be okay is as long as I knew that my backpack was separate from everyone else so they didn't squish my Nutrigrain bar because that I couldn't eat it the way that I was used to eating it, you know. And um, it was really wild because I come from a family of normal eaters, like totally, completely. Most, Like no one in my family really has the ism. I think I got it all, you know, like every little bit of like OCD and perfectionism, sensitivity, everything um, kind of boiled down to this one. But, but I can remember um, being on a vacation with my family and deciding that that night I wasn't hungry. I have no idea why I decided I wasn't hungry. And I remember my mom turning to my grandma and saying, I heard that, like, really tough situations can create eating disorder for for young girls. And it was so wild to think back to the fact that, like, 
I just knew I was controlling my food. Like, I just knew that I was trying to feel safe through any way that I could, and that was, you know, internal. That was just, just creating this little illusion that I was, I had control, and I would be okay. And that goes to the same thing with routines that I've had everywhere in my life. It's part of my personality to, you know, try and take my shower at the exact same time every night, you know, which later led into my anorexia and my bulimia of eating the exact same food in the exact same order, purging at the exact same point in each food, which then went into the exercise portion you know like having to have being on a treadmill it's tough I mean like this is like really difficult to have the number of calories be even the time be even the paces be even and then um what's the last one the distance be even like that was the only way that I could stop my workout is when I felt like the entire thing could be even and then you know I can remember stepping off the scale like I mean well the scale or the treadmill or whatever whatever it was and being like well now what Shit, like that didn't do anything for me. I don't know if I'm allowed to cast. My apologies. <laughs> um, so, you know, just like really, really being able to see that like I have a mind that longs to find control in things. Um, and I found that food and exercise, my weight, were things that I could start to control at a really young age. I also came from a very close family, and I found that that was my way to set boundaries. You know, instead of saying, like, I, I need to find my way or I need to figure it out, it was, you can't make me eat. You know, like, I will show you. I, I don't need to, um, I don't need to need you know, and, and going back to, again, kind of my childhood and my upbringing, um, I grew up in San Diego, which has, has a lot of wealth and a lot of pressure, and so much of it has to do with my siblings were in the exact same environment and had no sort of reaction to, I think that I had, like, literally have an allergy to life. Like, I'm allergic to everything everywhere, and, and need, like, my antihistamines, like, I need to block it all out by checking out. Like, that's just what I've done. So, you know, the pressures of what, like, hello, we're in L.A., there's pressures everywhere, but my need to ingest it, like, no pun intended, <laughs> you know, but to take it all in, to take in emotions, to take in situations, to take in people and places and things and all, all of that was so much, too much, that I just had to shut down and go within. And, you know, anything that came at me that felt like it was uncontrollable, hmm, you know, which is everything, pretty much. Um, I just knew that my only answer was my food and my weight and my exercise, you know, and so it went from starting out to controlling my Nutrigrain bar um, to being really, really active at sports, and, and by the time I made it to high school, um, I started getting into drinking and drugs, and um, I had a friend that told me about bulimia, and it was a great idea when you're drunk, like you can eat whatever you want and throw it up, you know, and it was such a perfect little, little thing for us to do, however, um, she stopped and I didn't, you know, and what I've always said is that my goal is to be the best at whatever I do. If it's anorexia, if it's bulimia, whatever it is, I'm going to try my hardest. So I ended up, you know, that kind of became my, um, not even my second choice. They were both like, do I want this or do I want, like, am I going to starve or I'm going to throw up? And, and throwing up is a lot more, I feel like, um, functional in our society because I can go do Thanksgiving and then throw it all up. You know, I can go to a party and then, you know, get rid of it versus the anorexia is pretty obvious, you know, like. And then furthermore, I had everyone feeding me because I was dying. You know, I looked like a skeleton. And so it was putting food on me all the time. And the only way for me to please you and then also, you know, please my disease was to eat what you gave me and then just throw it up. Same behavior in terms of resentment or, or any way of, like, dealing with things that weren't just. I wasn't an angry person. I never acted out. Again, I always acted in. And so, you know, if you did something that hurt me, I would either starve at you or I would binge and then throw you up, you know, and get rid of it, like just rid myself of everything. 
which was, again, something I thought made me um, safe, you know, to not need, to not feel, to not participate. Like, a robot doesn't really have feelings. A robot is pretty indestructible, and that's what I wanted to be, you know. I just thought that that's my way to avoid the sensitivities of life was to just become, like, some sort of skeleton. And, again, that was, like, this mind thing that I played out through my body. It was, it was the opposite. You know, anorexia, I'll be honest, is so far from vanity. It is so far. I mean, I can remember at a point trying to lose weight to get into a bathing suit for summer. By the time summer came, I was so sick I couldn't leave my house. You know, I was so sick that my my body would bruise sitting in chairs, you know, and so it was like what was my idea to be a part of was the thing that eventually took me so far from everyone. And I say it now with sadness because that's what I have for that little girl, you know. And I really realized that my only tool is my only way of figuring out how to survive in a world that seemed like too much for me was so available. It was so accessible, you know, food and weight and also getting the positive, you know, reinforcement behind it. It just kind of continued to, to like, warp my mind that, that was already kind of confused. And, and I've always struggled with looking young but acting old and just this huge polarity of like you know where do I fit like who am I in between those two worlds emotionally I'm still six you know but intellectually I can act as if I'm you know 40 or whatever whatever other age it is so guess I'm somewhere in between there it's up to you guys to guess um so so anyways um and I am five foot tall and I have gained 20 20 something pounds I have not gained an inch yet so I'm still trying with that one but um I do a lot of inversions to try and stretch me out and make me longer but no I'll take what I am I'm fine with it so let's see I think part of sharing about how bad things were is also to highlight how incredible it is you know like the miracle of what we come from to what we get to become is is like shocking you see it a lot more I feel like with other programs and ours it's kind of more like I just stayed home I just watched TV you know but for me it was life or death like it was really that severe and you know going back into the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we put into treatment centers you know going inpatient coming out and killing trying to kill myself because now I am clueless confused scared trapped in a body that isn't my own and I'm supposed to do life like, there was no integration of, like, let's find a new way of living. It was like, let's pack on the pounds and then send you out there to go get them, you know? And it was like, I don't know how to get anything um, except for, you know, some pills. <laughs> so I, that's what I did, you know? Like, I got lots of them. So, so anyways, um, that was at 18. I tried to kill myself. I, I went to a, a treatment center out of state, stayed there for two months, came back, and again was just like, I have no idea what to do, where to go, how to do anything. I had a, um, a, an appointment, appointment with a therapist who I had not yet met with before I tried to kill myself, and she showed up at the hospital that day. And she was the one that told me about OA. So I started going, I want to say I was maybe 20. I lived in San Diego, and I started going for a little while. I had crazy routines. This is probably the last, like, story that I'll, that I'll share of this round, but, um, I stole. I stole all the time. And that was part of, like, my disease of wanting to be invisible. And so, like, if I could go into a store, fill up my bag, I would bring in, like, a grocery bag, fill up that grocery bag, have a fake receipt and change in my hand and walk out of that store, and you didn't know what I just did, I felt A, invisible, and B, powerful. 
And so those were, like, a lot of the cruxes of my disease is that I wanted to, like, you to not see me, but then I also wanted to feel alive or feel like, but I was here, you know, like I'm invisible, but but here. And so my stealing was, was a thing of, like, insane proportions, like multiple stores. The OCD was wrapped up, like, same things from different stores. I would line it up in my car in the exact same order and take it home, you know, just so much energy went into my disease and so much like just using every bit of my being I say that like it incorporated all of my senses it was you know my sense of smell of course food smells amazing sense of taste yes sense of sight seeing it all you know sense of um, touch like being able to gather the different things I know there's five I forgot the other one hearing um, I don't know what I heard I heard crazy voices in my head that told me to steal but anyways that was actually something that I eventually was able to stop simply through the grace of God. There is no freaking way I could have ever stopped that. Like, there is not a high in the world. Like, well, there is. It's drugs. Um, probably. I don't know. I'm not, I don't have that one. But, um, you know, just the whole high of peeking yourself up, doing this stealing, doing this thing that is so wrong and so terrible, and then to coat, it, coat those nerves with the food process of binging or purging or whatever it was was just like, you know, as, like it's, for me, so much of the disease is about ping-ponging from one poison to the other you know if it's the exercise no 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 then it's the eating no 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 then it's the starving no 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 then it's the purging no you know and it's just like between like which wall do I turn to I'm screwed you know I'm trapped inside of misery and like dysfunction and you know this concentration camp that I just created for myself that was literally like spending every day wasting away you know there I, I see so many similarities to someone that goes through something like that and, and an anorexic, you know, and as we come out, it's a slow process, you know, there's psychological stuff that I did by starving my brain and starving my body, um, but also there's recovery to be had, you know, it's not my lot for the rest of my life, it's something that um, that brought me here, that co- like completely and totally shifted me from a shell of a human being into someone that's alive and imperfect, and so such a different different place for where I come from because it was all about perfection, it was all about performance. And, and none of that ever did anything for me. Again, it just ended up with me feeling completely empty, lost, alone, and disconnected. And disconnection is completely the root of my disease. Disconnected from God, from myself, from my fellows, from reality. I have two sayings that I use, and I'm sorry to my sponsees because they hear all my stuff all the time. But, um, you know, there's in terms of food, there's two different ways that I look at it. Um, with the bulimia and the overeating, that's the abuse of food, and it's similar to, to a grazing behavior for me which sounds so much like crazy. You know, grazing equals crazy in my head and in my life. Because if I'm acting out with the food, just reaching for whatever, there's something going on that I am not willing to just sit with and be with. So, you know, that's one side of it. And then the other side of the restricting for me is so much the resisting. Resisting the reality of what is, resisting whatever feelings or emotions I have, resisting whatever simple, like, chore or consequence that could be there, um, again, I, I use my manipulation of food in order to, to deal with whatever was the situation in my life. I can't do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. It just didn't, didn't serve me in any way, shape, or form. So after, you know, the suicide attempt and making it through, um, which, was, which was really lucky, you know, and I think that that's the reason why I made it through is so that I could be here and have my story. Because, you know, they say that the best anorexic is a dead anorexic. And, um, you know, the way that I live in my world now is that I do my recovery imperfectly because my disease, it, it wants me dead. You know, if I do that perfectly, I'll be gone, you know. And then it's it's just a waste. It's just, you know, um, not God's intention for me. You know, that's my self-will. That's my way of doing things, which 
didn't, you know, obviously didn't get me very far. Let's see, moving right along here. Um, so after I, I started coming, I came into program, like I said, in San Diego, and it's so cute how I thought that I was eating well, and it was like such a bird, it was retarded. But um, again, it was what I could do, and that's another big thing in my program is that like my best then is very different than my best now. You know, my best yesterday will be different than my best tomorrow. And that's what I remind myself is that like, you know, we, we're sick people. You know, when you're sick, you have to look at that and treat yourself a little bit differently. And if I'm having a hard day, I just, you know, say, all right, Lynn, we're going to get through the next four hours, and then you get to go to bed, you know, almost treating myself like a little child because, you know, when I try and muscle through that, the only way that I know is by doing behaviors that screw up my life, you know, and without really looking at the humanity and the fact that we have bad days or that, you know, we don't do things perfectly and accepting that and just letting that be what it is. Let's see, started coming into program, things were getting better, and um, kind of started to put, put my life together a little bit, and I got a job as a flight attendant. And uh, I left San Diego, and I was on the road, and I went back to what I knew, controlling my food, my weight, and my exercise. You know, when, when you have all these variables of, you know, scheduling and crews and, and weather and all that stuff, it was so clear to me, oh, my God, I'm powerless. Like, there's nothing I can control except for the four days' worth of food that I pack in my suitcase, you know, except for the fact that I can run to the gym as soon as we touch down. So that that brought me back down to my knees, crazy, miserable, and insane. I then moved to Denver, went and saw a therapist, and, and I just told him, I said, I don't know if you're willing to work with me, but I know I won't get better until I find God. Like, and I've never had God in my life, and so it was so strange because I'm like, huh? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know that. I just know that, like, yes, I'll do whatever you say I should do. You know, that was my way of being a patient or, you know, a, a daughter or a student or any of those kinds of things. So it was really, really mind-boggling to me to have a realization that, like, the only way for me to get better was for me not to do it. You know, so that that started and he was like, sure, you know, we'll work together. He probably just wanted my money. Um, and then so so anyways, I kept working with him, got back into program in October, um, in uh, October of 06 when I was living in uh, Denver. And things started to get better. I mean, in the beginning, like you have days or weeks where things are better and it goes right back to shit, you know, and it's the, the cycle in the beginning. And I think it's such an important cycle because I have to show up after I mess up. Because what I want to do is just be perfect and, and burn myself out so that I never have to come back. You know, and that was my, my way that I worked. Is it like I was an incredible employee, I was the best employee, until I stopped eating and then just went downhill. You know, and then I had to be rescued from my job to be sent to treatment as opposed to, like, the responsible act of, like, pacing it out. <coughs> Showing up, giving my best today, you know, being okay with just letting it go. So the period of, like, Feeling it out, figuring it out is the, the most important part for me. It's the, that's the portion of strength that I gather. And so it's so important that I remind my sponsees, like, the only thing you really have to have and the only thing that has stuck with me since that first time that I went to a meeting, I have faith that I'm going to be okay and I'm honest about what I do. Because when I'm not honest, that's when I get sicker and sicker and sicker. And as soon as I lose faith, nothing's going to help me. Nothing. If I'm hopeless, then I'm just like, like, that's when I'm really a waste. That's what I feel like, you know, and so a lot of times, you know, even when, when I was messing up, I still had a faith that, like, things can change, you know, I, I will get better, and each day that I'm not living in the tunnel is a day that I'm moving somewhere else, doing something else, that's the only way that my recovery builds, you know, because, again, my anorexia, my, my way of thinking, all of that is about, you know, getting into this tunnel, which is heading to a deep, 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 dark place where eventually I just slam into, like, a brick wall, and, again, honestly... 
that's still a, a bit appealing on some occasions, but it's so inappropriate and so selfish because then I'm no good to anyone. You know, and my tunnel is such a, like, will-based place versus, like, my recovery is such a such a God-based place, such a, like, what can I be, how can I, like, get outside, leave your house. Like, I genuinely will just say, leave your house. Like, I don't care what's the matter with you, leave. You know, like, and it's by leaving your house that, like, you help a grandma across the street, you know, or whatever, sorry if that's offensive, um, you know, you help a mom with her baby, like, I don't know, whatever it is, but, like, again, to me, that is recovery, that is service, is it's getting to a place where, like, my need to feel in control is far less important than my need to be a part of, you know, and I use that, that try, I try and use that mantra in everywhere and everything I go, no, that made no sense, everywhere I go and everything I do is what I meant to say, mm-hmm. so anyways, let's see, oh, so things are getting better, as as is usually what happens, and, uh, oh, wonderful. Um, so, so I went to a treatment center because I wasn't, I wasn't done. Like, I wasn't perfect yet. And they said to me, you need to be here 11 hours a day, seven days a week. And I was thinking they'd say, like, why don't you come once a week for an hour or two and, you know, kind of make your own, t- your own schedule. And, and it was wild because, again, I was sitting in that seat and I heard that the only thing that can heal me is God. And again, I'm like, what is this? you know, like, I don't know this. And I just, I paused and I looked at them and I said, you know, I just have a feeling that it's, that's God's the thing that's going to help me here. And I laughed and that is the date that I no longer starved myself. It was January of 07 and I just knew I'm going to do whatever it takes to not go there, you know, and to not like purposely try and ruin my life, which is what I did every time I starved. So that started things, and then I had I had many relapses with my bulimia, um, and again it was like, I said, are these for me? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> uh, I, st- I started I started my disease so young that I never had like adult experiences to relate in a healthy manner. So it was like everything I was doing was now brand new and supposedly in recovery, but like all that I had ever known was how to do it my way. So that's where I found that the bulimic episodes came up, as it was like getting fired from a job, like, why don't I try my old way, wait, that doesn't work, I'll try a new way, you know, I'll get honest, I'll get real, I'll show up, I'll use the tools, you know, I'll try and find another way to do it without retreating into my turtle shell, you know, because that didn't do anything for me. One moment, please, I'm going to drink a sip of water. (laughs) I'm back. So, let's see, in, in, um, in 08, I moved back to San Diego from um, Denver. My family is here. My recovery started here. My life needs to be here, and I know that. So, long story short, I was there for a couple of months, and then I moved to Los Angeles in um, July of last year. And I came initially for um, a, a work thing, and I loved it, and I stayed. And the very first thing that I did before I came here was check the meeting list. I came up here. While I did the transition, I kept my uh, San Diego sponsor. Same thing when I moved from Denver to San Diego, I kept my Denver. Um, so I came to, to um, L.A., and um, I slipped right into program, and um, I found a sponsor. And it was really funny because my sponsor was anorexic, and I'd never had an anorexic sponsor, and so I thought maybe I'll give that a shot. My sponsor also had, which everything, I mean, our programs are also different. We need what we need. But she had a nutritionist and a therapist. And I've had those all my life, and they never did anything for me, you know. So, so what, I, what I found is that, like, I needed someone that worked the steps. 
I needed someone that had a higher power. So I worked with that one temporarily, and then I prayed about it. I wrote about it. I just kind of sat with the idea of what I knew I needed. And that's been a huge part of my recovery is finding out that I need. Like, what do you know? You know, we all need. I was always so terrified of being needy that I took it into, like, switch it. Well, then I'll have no needs. You know, and, and the difference for me is that one can be satisfied. I need food. I need water. I can satisfy that. I need support. I need a higher power. I can find both of those. Being needy is like the inexhaustible. It's There's never enough. I have to continually keep, you know, filling up, filling up, filling, and then it just empties right out. And so, you know, to be able to see the two of those and know that there is, there's, a very valid part to being human. Like, there is a very important part. Because then again, it goes back to being of service. If I'm inhuman, I'm not, I'm not real, you know, I've really found that each time that I expose my truth, each time that I get real with people, is the only way that I inspire them. It's not standing up here and, you know, reciting poetry to you guys. It's talking about my shit. You know, it's sharing the fact that, like, I went from, you know, one place to another place through, through, um, through the, the steps. Hey, what do you know? There they are. Um, so, so anyways, well, I don't even know. Um, came, came up to L.A. I came to L.A. And um, I found a new sponsor. This is perfect. This is going right along with it. And in the beginning, I can remember, like, initially for the newcomers, like, all that I could do was show up at meetings. That's all I did. I went to seven meetings a week. I built my life around, like, knowing, like, okay, if I go to a meeting tonight, 5.30, 6.30, there's a meeting tomorrow morning at 9. Like, that's only this amount of hours. Like, I'll eat, you know, like, that's what I needed to do to take care of that crazy brain that I have. You know, now it's like, oh, well, whatever, I'll do what I do. You know, my recovery now is spontaneity. My recovery now is just surrender and, like, allowing things to happen as opposed to forcing them to happen. Um, but I was still really scared then. I was very fearful. So I just kind of bookended my life by my meetings. Then I kind of started to, to talk to some people and, like, you know, to actually have, like, people I could be honest with, like, people I wasn't performing in front of, people that I could mess up around, you know, and they still loved me. Like, I could come in and relapse and they didn't care, you know. Maybe they even liked me more, you know, because now I wasn't, like, you know... And that's another thing is that I, I talk about relapse because it's so essential not to promote it, but to see, <laughs> yeah, not, that's not at all, but to see the strength in it and the learning that we gather from it. Because, you know, each time that you relapse, it gives you a new experience to share with someone else. And each time that you relapse, it wraps you back into the program. It brings you closer to God. People don't realize relapse and be like, ah, I decided I, I messed up with my food and, you know, it's because God doesn't work. You know, usually it's like I relapse and I realize, like, I disconnected from my higher power. You know, like, each time I'm reaching for food, it's because I'm stepping, thank you, I'm stepping away from, um, from the things that do work. You know, and so I look at relapse as restructuring. Like, what is it that I need to do in my program to restructure to keep me in a place of stability so that I don't need to act out with my food? So, so you know, coming up here and, and finding my sponsor and finding my fellows, I don't know if you know, but I'm sneaking into the tools. This is how I'm leading into the tools. Um, so, so phone calls, emails, text messages, all that stuff, like, became a really regular part of my life. Like, it wasn't even my program. It was just what I knew, knew how to do. I also had no friends because my disease was all about isolation. So now my friends are program people. And my life in L.A. started based on program people. 
from there, I'll just touch on plan of eating really quick, even though to me it's the least important. But I do three meals a day, and I have a snack if I need to have a snack. But the reason why I just do three meals a day is because I need to eat my food to get on with my life. If I'm doing, like, six mini meals and, you know, this here and that, like, I'm always thinking about it, you know. And so I, I also love, like, eating breakfast at breakfast time, lunch at lunchtime, and dinner at dinner time. Like, none of this game playing where, you know, I ended up having breakfast at 12 and, you know, lunch at 7.30. What do you think? Like, that doesn't, that is, again, going to lead us. You know, but I hear that. I, I literally, I hear that with sponsees, and it's like you're setting yourself up. You know, I call it loving structure. Like, I create loving structure around my food so that I can do my life. Like, it's, the, the less that I think about it, the more that things happen, you know, the more that my life grows. So, and again, it's different for everyone, you know, like I, I have to do a snack, I, you know, my job is very active, and so I can't go the long periods of time, I also can't eat a huge meal and, and then go be of service to my students, um, that would be obnoxious to them, actually. So, you know, I, I, I definitely read my literature when I can and in ways that I can, and then writing, writing is a huge thing for me, I either journal, I also email every night, and my email, it's not about my food, you guys, because for me, my disease was all about my food, for me, my recovery is about my life and the way that I behave, the direct correlation between how I behave and the way that I eat, 100%, you know, my 10-step or my daily inventory is a gratitude list that I send to my sponsor, as well as kind of a recount of some of the things, the important details from the day, and the reason I love that is because it gets me out of I suck, I'm terrible, you know, my food means everything, it puts me into, I have so much to be thankful for, I have so many incredible people that have brought me to where I am, which then only makes sense that I need to give it back, you know, so it reminds me on a daily basis that I have so so much richness that comes at me, which again, I need to, you know, to give to others, and then the other thing that it gives to me is, shows me my patterns, you know, like, I'm really aware now of, like, when I'm tired, I think I deserve an extra apple. Like, what are you talking about? Go to bed, you know? But, like, you know, or that, that's, but that's where my mind goes. And, you know, another thing that I've been really clear, and, again, I'm an anorexic, so it's an apple, not, like, a cake or something like that. But it's, just, it's the same idea, you know, like, reaching for something that, that will fix me or that will fill me when, in reality, it doesn't. You know, it just takes me from, from feeling right here right now. So... Whew, that kind of took me off somewhere. Um, but, you know, coming back to, to how I use the different tools, um, you know, the, the writing is an important. I've also, I've worked the steps, and I'm now doing the how inventory, which is incredible. It's 100 questions, and each night I email a question to my sponsor. And it's taking me back to my childhood, where I'm learning that, like, I was terrified that a bum was going to come steal me every night. Like, that's not a normal behavior for most little kids to, like, sleep in sweatpants and sweatshirts with all their stuffed animals lining their bed to save them from bums that are going to come steal them. <laughs> you know? But, like, that's my fear. Like, and that's how I grew up. So no wonder I needed something to, to like, encapsulate me, something to keep me safe, and it was my food and my weight. You know? And I was so terrified that, like, rounder, bigger meant, like, way more vulnerable, way more approachable, way more normal, and I was so afraid to be normal, you know, because if I was normal, then you judge me, 